I'd like to take an extended reading from Mark's gospel this evening. And as you're finding your way to uh, Mark chapter four, the reason for this is that it's been part of my uh, daily reading plan during this week in conjunction with other passages of the scriptures that have all, as they quite often do, come together in your in circumstances to give you an encouragement. And they've been an encouragement to me because there, there are challenges and difficulties and maybe I could say disappointments associated with um, being Christians in our country today and also being Christians in churches of God in in our country, in our part of the world, the Western world today. It's not without its disappointments. But what I was reminded of in God's word this week is of God's unstoppable uh, purposes um, to bring about the glorious fulfillment of his kingdom, the kingdom of God that is going to um, be manifested fully in the future. And God is working inexorably towards that glorious consummation. And we do have a responsibility and to be a part of that and to participate in it. And just reminded from my readings this week that, that God is sovereign in that. And although maybe our little patch in which we work is increasingly difficult and seems lacking in fruit, we are encouraged to see the expansion of the work in other countries. And we'll say something of that in a moment, but just encouraged from God's word on this. So uh, let's take a reading. If uh, we can start from Mark chapter four and verse 26, and we're going to go through into chapter five, because as you know, the, the chapter and verse divisions of our scriptures were not there originally. They've been put in to help us navigate around. So sometimes a chapter division causes us to stop our our thinking, whereas the author's intention was to stitch various elements together in a flow. So this is a long reading, and I'm just going to make some high-level comments on it, but hopefully you'll see a flow as we go through it of God's purposes as declared by Christ to bring about the glory of his kingdom and to bring that about through him. So Mark chapter 4 and verse 26 and it says, and he was saying, that's Jesus, was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up daily and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now, when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he was saying, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is the smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches with the result that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to understand it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, he took along with him 
but he, they took a him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fair scale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, into the region of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and cutting himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had already been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of that region, now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons begged him, saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the pigs and the herds rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and the countryside. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had previously had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the pigs. And they began to beg him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. That's the conclusion of our reading. We have the Lord giving teaching to his apostles, the 12 that he has chosen, and he gives them Close instruction, we're told in this passage, whenever he uses a parable, when he's teaching generally, he gives fuller instruction to these 12 as to the meaning of those parables. But we see in that first little section in Matthew chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, that the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a man who goes out and casts his seed on the soil. And he carries on with the work that a farmer would do. And eventually the stalk appears and eventually the fruit comes. And he doesn't know how that happens. It happens in a, an almost miraculous way. And we would say the same thing today. A tiny little seed germinates and becomes a crop that multiplies. And then there comes the time when that's gathered in and enjoyed in all of its fullness. The Lord Jesus then 
continues on. And I think March, Mark is stitching these together in, in a certain um, linkage here for us to see something. The Lord then speaks of the kingdom of God being like a tiny seed, the mustard seed, one of the smallest of seeds. But yet, when that was a fully grown plant, it was something so large that it overshadowed everything else. And actually, there's a quotation in there from the Old Testament, a prophecy that's repeated in, in various ways, in similar ways, maybe three or four times in the Old Testament about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ, pointing forward to the millennium in particular, when it says people from all nations will come under the shade of the rule of Christ. And even the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, there will be that, that joy of uh, no longer any animosity between humans and animals or even between the animals themselves. This thought of something so glorious that comes to its fruition uh, that God has promised. And Jesus was saying that it's something very, very small, but it will become all that God has promised it to be. And then we notice that it was the same day. Mark says that on the same day they got into the boat that evening, that they might go across the sea. And here, I think Mark wants us to see that the one who has spoken about the kingdom of God in its miraculous fruitfulness and growth from something that is seemingly so small, but yet brings about a miraculous harvest and also something that is so small that brings about something so gloriously large and magnificent as God would have it be, that that kingdom, that kingdom is, the Lord Jesus is central to that. And Mark wants us to see that. And he wants us to see what the disciples were thinking of. So they get into that boat together and they go across the sea and the Lord is asleep and the storm comes and they're overwhelmed with fear and they go and they wake him. And they say, do you not care that we perish? In that moment, they're thinking their lives are done for and the life of the Lord Jesus. But yet, earlier that same day, he's the one who had spoken of this coming kingdom in all of its glory, in all of its fruitfulness, in all of its greatness that would affect all peoples on earth. And he was claiming in his preaching to be central to that. And here they were fearing that their lives were threatened. What was all this teaching about if they were to be swallowed by the sea? But they would learn that this one who was asleep in the boat was the one who would stand up and would just command, hush, be still, and declare his transcendent power over the elements in creation. Here was one who was greater than any they'd ever encountered. Who then is this? Who then is this? He is the king of the kingdom. He is the one who has all authority over the creation. But not only that, he has the power over creation to bring about his eternal purposes. God does. He is sovereign over all things. But then without so much as a breath, we're transitioned across the sea to the region of the Gerasenes. And it's a Gentile region. And Mark just continues in his flow. And he wants us to see how God's sovereign purposes over all of creation are seen in his intervention in individuals and bringing them into the glory of his kingdom. And that's where we pick up from Mark chapter five. 
the chapter break is there, but I think I think you can see with me that there's a flow to this in Mark's thinking, that they've heard from the Lord Jesus, the one who claims to be the Son of God, the one who claims to be the Messiah, that the coming glorious kingdom of God, it's a small thing, it's miraculous, God will bring it about in all of its fruitfulness and all of its greatness. And they've just witnessed him command that the creation do what he says. And they're learning something about him as the glorious Lord, the great king over all things. And they're going to see that. And it's for our benefit too, when they deal with this man who was untamable because of his demon possession. And he comes and he bows before the Lord. And that interaction results in him being released from that which had enslaved him and has spoiled his life. And he's brought into the freedom of the glory of the kingdom of God through faith in the Lord Jesus, who has all power over the unseen realm of spirit beings and so on, but yet is experienced in this physical and tangible and seen world that we live in. We see the effects of what happens when the king intervenes in the life of individuals. He is the sovereign Lord of all. And his sovereign purposes include the individual. I think it's it's wonderful to see that flow in, in Mark's gospel here. And just to emphasize again, this region of the Gerasenes or Decapolis as well, the 10 city region, where the Lord said to the man who, who was healed and who was restored and was in his right mind and who asked to go with the Lord with him. And the Lord says, no, you go home to your people and tell them what great things God has done for you. He went to a Gentile people. Here was the great king of the kingdom of God who was challenging the outlook and the perspective and the expectations of those Jewish apostles who were with him, those 12, who considered the kingdom of God to be the sole preserve of the Jews and the faithful Jews. Here was the Lord showing his power over creation, bringing them to a place where they must have scratched their heads as to why they were going there. It was a place where people kept pigs after all. And they went there and the Lord transforms the life of one man and sends him off to speak of the glory of what has happened in his experience to affect the lives of others too. So the Lord was challenging their expectations and their presumptions about who would be part of this miraculous, fruitful, and great kingdom that the Lord had been teaching. It's a challenge for us too, isn't it? We've just raced through this, but the challenge is there for us, that the Lord Jesus in his teaching tells us that something that sometimes can seem so small to us and insignificant certainly to the world around us, and particularly in our context today, where it seems even so difficult to even spark a conversation with people because there's such a lack of interest something so small yet in the eyes of the world it's going to be something so fruitful in the eyes of God and the same thing with the the image of the the mustard seed it might seem like nothing to so many people but yet God is going to bring about the glory declaring the glory of his kingdom and of the king the Lord Jesus Christ and of the spirit who works in people to bring them into that and to secure them for that for eternity.
we're part of that. We've been brought into God's sovereign purposes by what the king has done. And that brings us forward, of course, to the to the tree at Calvary. And and there we have the sacrifice of the son of God, the great king, who by his sacrifice brings people into God's glorious kingdom. It challenges us because it is so easy sometimes to get despondent and discouraged, disheartened even with the challenges of, of a society around us that seems so ambivalent and disinterested and so on. I have a conviction that what Paul had written about in Romans 1 and 2, just very quickly on this, where it repeatedly says that God gave people over to the things that they determined to do that were contrary to his will. I think we've seen that over recent generations in the West. People choosing to fly in the face of what was there as a, as a principled way of life based on the scriptures and on God's law. It has been eroded and eroded and eroded. And personal determination has become the thing that, that rules everything. And you're not allowed to question anybody about anything anymore. I think there's a judgment has come on Western nations who have pursued that path, which is the inevitable um, progression of sin in the world. We see that repeatedly in the history that is recounted for us of humanity in the Bible, that this God will give nations over to their sin. But that does not mean in God's sovereign purposes, that might be his sovereign purpose, and I, I have the conviction that it is for us in our context in the West today. That does not mean that he is not working with the individuals who can affect the people in their sphere of influence. And that is where the challenge comes back to us. Of course, we set our context here today, don't we, against what we see overseas, particularly Malawi. I mean, it's a it's a region that just causes us to rejoice to see what God is doing. The planting of the Church of God in Bulacan today in the Philippines, I mentioned that in Manchester this morning. That's a cause for rejoicing too. And there's another one in the pipeline, most likely. Uh, we're just having to hold them back. Their context is different. Their way of life is different. They have not yet entirely jettisoned the things that once were held as being standards in society that once were here in the West. We thank God for what is happening there. Now, just very quickly, I, I wanted to lay this alongside the, the other scriptures that encourage me. My Bible reading plan has taken me through the early chapters of Acts as well. And if the Lord ever wants to, to give people who are discouraged by their, their current context and how difficult it is, um, you just need to read the early chapters of Acts and see the progression of things there. And I think it shows a progression of things that would have that was unexpected for the Jews. Again, we notice that when Stephen loses his life, as he declares to the Sanhedrin um, the truth about God and about the Lord Jesus, he's stoned and it says a persecution arises and Saul is a big part of that. And as the people were were scattered because of the persecution. They went to the Samaritan people first. And the Samaritans come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They repent and are saved. And 
some of the apostles have to go in to verify that because that's beyond their capacities. They're still thinking that this new Messiah movement of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus was restricted to the Jews. Even after what they'd experienced with the Lord in this region of Decapolis and other regions too. And they had to learn that this was of God the Spirit as they extended the preaching into the region of the Samaritans. You then follow on that with Philip being taken from the region of Samaria and he's, he's sent to one man, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's sent to him on that journey. And that man is reading the text of Isaiah. And from that, that man repents and is saved and is baptized. And that man goes back to Ethiopia or whatever region it was in Cush. And he goes into that region and from there begins the expansion of the work. Tradition would tell us, history would tell us of the work of God in that region. You then move on from there and you've got Peter being called to go to Cornelius's house. He's a Gentile, a centurion after all. And he goes and Cornelius and his household are saved. Here were people who were no way Jewish, no sort of half mix like the Samaritans, no sort of uh, Jewish adherent that the Ethiopian eunuch would have loved to have been, but was present, prevented from because he was a eunuch. But that's a whole other story. But here is people who were sympathetic to the Jews, but they were Gentiles. And the spirit confirms to Peter and then to the apostles and those back in Jerusalem that this is a work of God. And then you move on and you come to the Church of God in Antioch. And then the Church of God in Antioch is primarily Gentile. And Saul is converted in the midst of all this, and he becomes the great preacher who takes the message around the Mediterranean. Now, I think it does indicate for us that back in, if I might call it this, the heartland, or even the homeland, of where this all began with Jesus, the king. Maybe there was shrinkage there while there was growth in other regions. That's a supposition, but I think we find that from the, the letters that are written by Peter and by Paul and others, they're primarily addressed to those who are in the dispersion. There's not so much that's addressed back to the churches in Jerusalem and Judea, is there? Maybe where things had started and where things had been gloriously started by the great King Jesus who had come and had spent his time there, that was just a springboard for what God was doing across the globe. And he's doing the same today. I don't want us to claim that maybe the UK is the heartland and the homeland, but there is something of that, isn't there? A regaining of the truth of the house of God in the late 19th century. That, that was really a focus that was on some in the UK. And from there that has spread. And we see the people in the world taking up the distinctive, teachings of the house of God and they absorb it and they love it and they want it in countries outside of our own in the main that's our situation we know that and it's a glorious thing God has called us this is my encouragement from God's word God has called us to be faithful in our context even if it might be difficult and sometimes disheartening and there seems so little reaction, so little take up. There can be individuals who can affect others. And that 
means that our faithfulness demands that we stand for truth in a society that no longer knows what truth is, that we continue to speak of the Savior when an opportunity presents itself. And I know that those opportunities are not straightforward these days. But we do that. We share the word in written form. We send a video. We send a verse. Whatever it is, we make a promise of prayer and we follow that up. So many ways in which we can touch the lives of individuals with the word of God so that God might do a work. Reading in the book of Acts that after Peter gives his report about what happened in the house of Cornelius, the people who heard his report, who were questioning why he'd gone to Gentiles, they said, well, God has granted repentance. God has granted repentance even to the Gentiles. Yes, he has. God in his mercy grants his repentance to those that sometimes are beyond the pale for us, those that we would never consider. Had we got off the boat in the region of the Gerasenes with the Lord and been confronted by the man who could not be constrained by the chains, would we have gone after him? God is the God of the impossible, and he calls us to be faithful in our context. That's it. Rejoicing at the same time that if there's not the same um, acceptance and reception of the gospel that some of us are privileged to experience elsewhere and that brothers and sisters seem to have on a daily basis elsewhere, we rejoice in that, even though it might not be the experience of our context today. So I just pass on that passage from Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 4. The kingdom is unstoppably fruitful. The kingdom is unstoppably great and all peoples will be gathered into the shade of the glory of the king who is the king of the kingdom of God. And he's the one who has demonstrated his power over creation. He's the one who has demonstrated his power over that which would enslave us. And he has demonstrated his power over sin and death through his, resur through his resurrection after his crucifixion on the tree at Calvary. God's purposes, they continue on and we have a privilege to be part of it. We step forward, some of us this week with the Liverpool Youth Club. There might only be a small couple of handfuls of young lives there, but it's still an opportunity. We look at teen camp the week after God willing, will be granted an opportunity to spend time with a smaller group than usual. But we step forward in faithfulness, knowing that those moments are precious. To speak of truth and to speak of the king of the kingdom and of God's unstoppable purposes. He wants people to jump on board and to go with him on that, doesn't he?